no more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World. Our first podcast that we are recording in the year 2018. An epic year. A year in which we can say goodbye to 2017. I have to tell you about a brilliant thing that my daughter did. Let's hear it. So when we got together, the first time we got together in 2018 with my daughter, she came over for dinner, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but she sat down with a piece of paper and she said, I have made a list of the things I'm leaving behind in 2017 Ah. and the things I'm going to do new in 2018. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And the first thing I said to myself was, I'm going to do that. And what is today? It's like, you know, the 10th, 12th, 15th, something, something. like that. Getting yeah. to the middle Don't date of, our podcast. Yeah, you we don't want to do that. And, uh, and I haven't done it yet. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of talk right now on like digital detox. At least, I don't want to say a lot of talk. I've talked to one person who's, who's leading an initiative at an institution about digital detox. And they said the, 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 the faculty buy-in is high. People, people want to be, be thinking about this. But um, if you, we, we released a couple episodes. We've been out for a couple weeks, but we did not, the, the, the media in the end of the world did not stop. We released a couple episodes, which you should check out. Highly recommend our recap of Stranger Things 2 with Yvette Walker. And we also released an interview with Mike Caulfield, who is the head of the Digital Polarization Initiative at the American Democracy Project about engaging students in media literacy. So I think those are those are great episodes to listen to. So um, I keep hearing from people who are saying, uh, uh, I haven't listened to your podcast, but it's on my list of things to listen to. So I think we're getting close to listening. It might, maybe it's on people's lists of things they're planning to do in 2018. Right. Yeah. Hopefully not in the list of things they want to leave behind in 2017, which <laughs> would be quite sad. We're, we're, we are down the queue. Yes, um, but we are uh, – part of our plan is to uh, continue to kind of alternate between um, treating serious issues in a slightly sarcastic fashion and then uh, treating popular culture in kind of a delightful <laughs> fan person kind of way. Um, so uh, by all means, stay, stay with us and keep joining us, and we'll try to keep you up to date on uh, these last days of media yeah Before, the, by the way the, the idea that the podcasts go up even when we're not here would indicate that even if human beings were extinct there would be new episodes of podcasts being delivered onto that, the internet yeah maybe that's that, that's our idea is we like we, we build like a queue of like 10 episodes that would just sort of go out yeah that could trigger out in the in the, you know in the event of apocalypse right and then when the aliens land here Right. And we've been gone for a long time. And first they'll find the podcast and be like, what? What is wrong with these people? What were they doing? Didn't they realize that the end of the world was upon them? And and the alien historians will write about how we knew the whole time. Right. Yes. (laughs) We had predicted this. And they'll be discredited. They'll be just sort of like, no, there's no such thing. You're dreaming. There was never any people there. Speaking of historians, a very historical book dropped. Uh, over the weekend, Fire and Fury by 
great historian. By Leo Tolstoy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not by Leo Tolstoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, its language is, is deep and luscious. Uh, Mike, Michael Wolf's book dropped, um, and I think we'll get to that, but I think the most recent news is Honey Badger Steve Bannon – uh, has been uh, removed from his executive chairman position at Breitbart News. Here, I have a question for you. How do you get fired from a fake company, <laughs> a fake news company? <laughs> how does that happen? Like, what? How how low do you have to stoop for a company that's based off of, of falseness <laughs> needs to remove you? Yeah, that's yeah. That well, that's that's kind of scary and kind of flips around to, you know, how does a real reporter end up writing? fake news for a real news organization. Yeah. Which is something that I was reading about earlier today because of there's the New York Times is under a lot of attack right now for having published a story in I think 2016 saying that that the FBI had started looking into Russian connections and there was nothing there. And everybody else is like, "Why did you publish that story? Because you had no you didn't mm-hmm. know, right?" Mm-hmm. And it's become clear since then that that was definitely not the case. So, there's just been a flurry of people who are saying, you know, I'm Ending my subscription to the New York Times, the Washington Post does a much better job. So it'll be interesting to see that particular battle go out. So, And there were some people who were actually commenting on going back to the Judith Miller, Iraq is a really good idea thing as to where the New York Times kind of lost its traction. So I think it's interesting on both sides of that. The fake news, getting rid of somebody, maybe, I mean, maybe he'll turn around and do real news, like out of s- severe depression, yeah. you know, <laughs> turn himself inside out. He'll be an anti-neocon or something like that. Like that. We'll eventually be watching like the ESPN 30 for 30 of, of the, the fall and, and eventual turnaround of, of uh, Steve Pannon. Um, how can we, how do we know that the fake news company actually let him go? Can we trust them? That's true. That might have been fake news. Yeah, that they that they actually fired him. Well, you know, it's yeah, it's always interesting to see when somebody actually you know walks away. When he departed from the Trump administration, I was kind of wondering. So what was that exactly? Because his claims initially were that he'd be much more effective on the outside, mm-hmm. um, and apparently that's been his modus operandi mm-hmm. since then. So now he wants to get outside of Breitbart, and uh, I don't know quite what he is moving to since he's getting outside of all these locations well, right yeah and, and particularly after um you know the uh the the great spectacle that was roy moore that he endorsed too that, that kind of falling apart i don't think there that uh, a lot of love is lost on on him leaving um and i believe wasn't it trump's quote that like he said that he not only lost his job he lost his mind i mean if trump is telling you <laughs> that you him, lost your mind then um was he calling him sloppy steve they're sloppy that steve, sloppy yeah, steve. That's, that, that's what it, and and i think uh, michael wolf's book probably speaks to a little bit because I would argue this is a book about Steve Bannon as much as anything else, given that the main source for Michael Wolf was Steve Bannon. And um, it, even, even the way that the book ends, I've read, I've read about two thirds of the book, like the first third and, and I guess the last third and, and skip the, skip the middle of it. But it, it ends with Bannon leaving. Like that, that's when the book Right, Stops. and then and then Bannon finds himself on a beach, and he's walking along, and he sees the Statue of Liberty sticking up out of the sand. <laughs> <laughs> he drops to the ground and pounds his fist in the sand, saying, "They did it! You monsters! You blew it up!" <laughs> Actually, I have I I have a conspiracy theory. All right, in two words, you ready? Joe Arpaio. Steve Bannon is going to go run Joe Arpaio's ah. campaign because Roy Moore just was not messed yeah. up enough. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, there's a a lot of, I would say the main thesis 
to Michael Wolf's book, at least what, the, what people say is probably the the truest part is all of the people within the White House um, think that President Trump is is a hard person to work with and work for, and I, that's 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 the the main the main piece of this story. Uh, a lot of it also has to do with, and this is nothing that we didn't know. That I mean that that they didn't uh, think that they would win, right? That it was a complete shock to everyone. Uh, Kellyanne Conway was just happy to for for it to be like a close loss, and for her to get her cable news television uh, anchor type position, commentator type type role. And that's where everyone assumed that they were headed. And instead, a bunch of people with no experience in in politics started running the White House, which, you know, seems more like a uh, an ABC sitcom type show than anything else. <laughs> but that's that, that's the situation that, that we were in. And Steve Bannon is the scariest because, I mean, he really does think of himself as a revolutionist. And if you think about what was really, I mean, he was behind a lot of what was happening at the very front end of the presidency, whether it's the inauguration speech or the travel ban, basically that's, that's all Steve Bannon um, that's going on there. And then I think the Trump white house realized quickly, Oh gosh, we've got a crazy man within here. And his role just slowly dwindled Mm -hmm. between January 20th and in and, and middle of October. Here's, here's the beautiful part, though, is that one of the first apologists to come out and be the face of the administration was Stephen Miller, mm-hmm. who is, is sort of like the scary cyborg version yeah. in a way, uh, because he says he says just crazy things that are totally serious. Um, and what I've heard from other people say is one of the most punchable faces in in politics. Um, but the 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 interviews that were conducted over the weekend, you know, following the uh, release of the book, which, by the way, wouldn't even be out if they hadn't made such a stink about yeah, it. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be out yet. <laughs> and apparently there are quite a number of typos. So somebody, you know, it was, it was apparently the rush went past the the people who were supposed to actually proofread the book yeah. and check for things like that. Well, what I read was was the, the WikiLeaks leaked version. <laughs> there are no corrections in that one. Wait, there's a, there's a WikiLeaks leaked version that people can find on the Internet if they look? Wow. Also, a WikiLeaks version that's behind a paywall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's only freely available in uh, certain embassies in the world. That's that's the, the truth of it. Well, I I, I thought it would be. Um, I mean, I think that I have I have not partaken of the uh, of that particular distribution mechanism, but I did. Uh, I accidentally stumble across in my massive collection of um, books that I read at one point and then promptly um, set aside intellectually um, a previous book by Michael Wolf that I thought it might be interesting to mention something about because of the media context, which was a book he published in 2015 called Television is the New Television, The Unexpected Triumph of Old Media in the Digital Age. And um, I think for the sake of, of kind of clarifying for the way that I usually end up thinking about and talking about these is to kind of think of a division between what's usually called legacy media and what we would call then digital media. And that there, there's a, if you want to think of that, you know, sort of legacy as analog in a way, kind of metaphorically, um, and then digital as being something, you know, kind of different, um, that that's essentially what what Wolf is arguing in this book that I think actually is a, an argument, I don't know that I agree with it necessarily yet, but I think it's certainly worth considering, is that what we've seen is sort of the victory of 
legacy media entering or, or existing in the digital sphere and actually being very successful. And in a way, this book that Wolf has written kind of proved because it's a book. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> going to ask you that question is like, is the future of traditional media books, right? Like, if, I mean, if you're, if you're literally going to make money and like, Michael Wolf, more than anything, just seemed stoked that he sold like a million copies yeah. of this in four days, yeah. right? Like he, he, you, you can argue whatever you want about uh, who who was at the Four Seasons in Georgetown during one breakfast with Ivanka Trump. He doesn't really care because he's loaded now, you right, know. Yeah. And uh, and and it 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 it's it worked, I it, guess, right? I the, don't know. the fact that some of these were events that he invited, he like invited people over for dinner, basically, yeah. and then you know was was collecting information it's so at the next dinner party you're at keep that in <laughs> yeah. mind that yeah. somebody might be trying to actually collect a bunch of information on you I, I was i was listening to an interview with him where he basically said that he was telling he was doing an interview uh with i think the the soon uh, president elect trump and basically saying that you know i'd like i'd like to do this book in which President Electra, but then said, just kind of like, huh, that interesting. And so Michael Wolf basically told me this. Like, no, he was going, he was going, huh, book. <laughs> I think I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. So he just, he, he was like, well, he didn't, he didn't not say no. <laughs> like, and so he just kind of hung out. <laughs> that's totally that's, awesome. That's the most bizarre way I've ever heard of like access to. The White House. Did, did you, by the way, did you, uh, were you exposed to the Gorilla Channel <laughs> material? Yeah. I, I, I had this back and forth where, um, and I, to, to set this up for listeners that are unfamiliar with the Gorilla Channel, there was a, a Twitter account that released a screenshot of, at, at the time, what was happening was people were re- releasing these tiny paragraphs of like, can you believe this is an excerpt from Michael Wolf's new book? And this was coming out maybe every other hour and then a a twitter account i can't remember for the life of me what his name was basically released this um tweet that that referred to trump demanding the gorilla channel in which his aides rushed to put together a tape of of all these gorilla clips in which he just because there is no gorilla channel (laughs) and so the argument was that they just basically made one Yeah. And so they put together all these guerrilla documentaries and he was watching it and he was really angry because it wasn't the good guerrilla channel stuff because <laughs> they weren't fighting each other. So he wanted more videos of guerrillas fighting. Um, so, yeah. So I saw that and I laughed because, you know, I, I, I knew it was sarcasm. But then it came back around and everyone was talking about the gorilla chain. I was like, oh, no, like that's a real excerpt. Like it, it, it eventually got me where I had to do my research and figure out, is this actually true or not? And by the time the, the guy who had originally tweeted it, I'm assuming it's a guy. I don't know why I'm assuming it's a guy. The, the, the account that originally tweeted it had already changed its name to the gorilla channel. It's not a real thing. <laughs> Just to clarify. Yeah, I'm, I'm just. I was just trying to check to see. Yeah, it's, it, there were a lot of people who were, and I think what's interesting about it, what's worth thinking about about it, is is that it. Because when I first read it, I really, for like about two minutes, was like, "This is so messed up," and and I didn't. I hadn't really, you know, maybe uh, following from Mike Caulfield's discussion on our recent thing, maybe I suspended my judgment for a moment. Mm-hmm. I didn't think, "Is this fake?" I just thought, "This is funny." You know, this is yeah. really funny stuff. Yeah. And then it started creeping in that it's funny partially because I want it to be real and it's and it's not and I kind of realized fairly quickly this can't 
speak because there is no gorilla channel and and you know <laughs> so but but just for that moment like i really wanted it to be a real thing you know because it was just it, it's just sort of like too juicy and too beautiful a moment to to sort of miss on so and of course it, it does draw on what we know is the single most successful category of videos on the internet which is animal videos right yeah. it's just it's it perfectly fall yesterday because of getting annoyed at politics i watched a video of a rabbit jumping up on a bed for about five <laughs> minutes and it would just jump up on the bed and jump off and, jump, and it was adorable it was it was perfect it was a perfect moment do you think do you think our friends that uh have yet to listen but but swear they will listen to our podcast <laughs> would still like maybe we could, we could still change the name of it right like we could become the gorilla channel like, <laughs> I, I feel like this is a a an, a fleeting opportunity for us to really cash in on this or like maybe animal videos real or fake right <laughs> or the top five fake animal videos that would like pull people in i did i, I wanted to add one other thing about uh, about wolf's book on on uh, television. Well, two things, actually. One is, and I wanted to share, for those of you who didn't happen to, don't have a copy of this sitting around, what they decided to use as the, uh, the the quotes on the back of the book so that you would look at it in the store and go, oh, yes, I'll buy this. So here's how, so this is, this is, this is the copy on the back of the book. Michael Wolf, this is not a quote, Michael Wolf makes his living tweaking the big shots of the media, advertising, and technology. Sometimes they tweak back, and now it becomes a series of quotes from various um, um, uh, digital and then legacy sources. So the first one is, quote, a mindless jerk who will be first up against the wall when the revolution comes. And that was from Wonkat. And then, uh, quote, possibly the bitchiest media Bigfoot writing today from the New Republic. And then from Gawker, he both ne- he's both needy and amoral enough to just, you know, insult people for attention. <laughs> And then uh, from the New York Times, far less circumspect and sometimes more vicious than other journalists. So that's what they. Uh, you know, Are so real? Do we have, have you? I have not checked to see. I, I assume that that these are that these are real things, but that's a good thought. Well, and, and let's assume that they are. Like, what does that say about Michael Wolf? That like, so the last one on the back of it is, if the web doesn't kill journalism, Michael Wolf will. This, you know, from Salon, <laughs> and it it does seem like he relishes in that. And and again, I keep, I keep getting the the, the idea. The more I listen to him, the more I read about him. That. He's just really happy he's selling copies of anything, yeah. you know? Well, and that, and that we, we could benefit from the fact that as sleazy as he is thus far, and something may change by the time you're listening to this or at some point in the future, but there really hasn't been any, you know, except for people sort of saying the whole thing's a fabrication. Right. Um, and then, you know, you turn around and again, this happened with um, this Stephen Miller interview. It's like, well, the whole thing's a fabrication. And sort of like the next question is, well, how do you know? Were you there and you saw that it right. didn't happen? Well, no. And basically his claim in the interview was because Trump told him it wasn't true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so it's, it's definitely uh, Alice in Wonderland wormhole style kinds of stuff. Yeah. I, I, I do get the impression this, these quotes certainly solidify my thoughts that traditional media don't like no Michael Wolf. They, yes. they're not fans of him. Um, I want to play a game. You're, are you ex- excited I, for a game? I am excited for a game. I got a new bit. Okay, I'm going to read off um, four leads, uh, and then I, I actually I pulled a little bit more from from the articles. I want you to tell me which one of these stories is not true. 
okay? Okay. I got, I got four four options for can you. I, can, let me just say, I'm really bad at this. Because like I said with the Gorilla Channel stuff, for moments I entertain the possibility that these are real. So. Well, I, I've been trying to practice reading these with a straight face, okay. but I just laugh I, so much doing it. I, I will I will look away because <laughs> I, I don't want to feed the wanna, beast. You want to clue. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's uh, number one. A group of concerned citizens in Maine saved a young moose trapped in the snow, but a warden service spokesman said that there's no happy ending. Corporal John McDonald said that in consultation with wildlife biologists, wardens determined that the moose had to be put down because of illness. Oh, you, want, you want me to react to each one? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I mean, <clears throat> a laugh would be like, yeah, I, I did put work into this. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just trying to, I was, I was picturing the environment. It was all, I heard the music from Northern Exposure and it just got beautiful. Okay. All right. Uh, number two. Citizens of Pine Bluff, Arkansas, locked arm in arm at the city park on Thursday morning in efforts to protest the disassembly of the annual holiday lights drive through display. Quote, our tax dollars partially fund the display, and I believe we should have the opportunity to experience Christmas year around at the park if we so choose, said Pine Bluff resident Betsy Rogers. <laughs> okay. That, now, what, what's funny about that is I was just looking up because I, I had these like ridiculous looking candy canes in my front yard that were part of the Christmas <laughs> display, and, and there was so sort of like there was this unacknowledged competition because I noticed that one neighbor stopped turning them on and then another and then another. Oh, yeah. And so then yesterday I pulled out these candy canes and then last night I looked and my peop- the people across the street still turned on their little projector. I was like, oh, oh I lost. Projectors so, are the worst. Yes. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Number three. Florida authorities are sharing the details of an unusual 911 call on New Year's Eve from a man who said he wanted to report himself drunk driving. When the dispatcher asked Michael Lester where he was, he said, quote, I'm too drunk. I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> Okay. And option number four. All right. The Clarion Ledger reports that Bertha Vickers, a 99-year-old hunter in Mississippi, used a Winchester rifle to kill a doe recently a few miles from her rural home. Vickers says she doesn't know, quote, why everybody's making such a big deal about it, because it's just a doe and not a buck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, So three of those are real and one of those is fake. You know, in in the in the, in the quasi universe in which I live, those could all be fake. Those could all be real. <laughs> um, let's see. All right, so we have uh, it's 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 just a doe. It's not a buck. We yes. have Christmas lights that need to be on all year. We have reporting themselves drunk driving, right? And then citizens in Maine who saved a young moose, but it had to be put down anyways because it had an illness. Um. I, I I actually would go with number four, the the doe buck one, because it's just it has it 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 feels it has less truthiness than the other three. So that would be my guess. So all right. So in the background, I'm probably playing a a ding 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 <laughs> or a, <laughs> and the answer is. Oh, <laughs> that one oh, is real. That's real. There was okay. a 99 year old hunter named Bertha Vickers who did kill a doe and then questioned why the why the journalist was even talking to her because it's just a doe, not even a buck. Um, the the fake story uh, is the protest at the holiday lights drive through display coming down. Oh, that's so sad <laughs> that that didn't happen. But okay, I, but, I, I can uh, understand. But a young that. moose was saved and then put down. Um, a guy did 
call himself in for drunk driving and uh, a 99 year old Bertha Vickers yeah. did kill it. That's another, another little piece of the glory of the, di- thank you for doing that. That was, that was quite good. One of the other glories of the digital era is that people can do things like call themselves in drunk, right? So remember there was a, a very widely distributed story about a guy who called 911 because Burger King wouldn't do it his way. <laughs> they, they just, you know, he wanted some special order. They said, no, we're not doing that. So he called 911 to tell them, and it, that was one of those things where it's like, oh, they can't really. But it was. They had, you know, the audio there. So it was, it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to the Golden Globes? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Let me know when you want me to do my rant about uh, award ceremonies. We can Have we not done it yet? I, I don't think I have. Have I? Have I done? I don't think I've complained in, in sort of general crotchety terms about yeah, please award ceremonies. So. I mean, all right, so the easiest way to get this is until they go back in time and fix the fact that they did not give one Emmy to The Wire, I will consider mm. all awards to be illegitimate. So that's that's the easiest part. And we all have those things that we yeah. you know, know were ignored. Also, recently, uh, my... Uh, uh, one, uh, somebody I was close to had never watched Silence of the Lambs, and you always want the people you're close to to have watched Silence of the Lambs. So we watched it, and then I, I mentioned to her just a couple of days ago, yeah, and then because we, we were talking about the shape of water and how the shape of water was going to fare at these award ceremonies. And I said, well, traditionally, horror doesn't do very well at all. And that Guillermo del Toro won the Golden Globe made me just so happy, although we can get into the awkwardness of that moment <laughs> in, in a second. But the uh, but but that Jonathan Demme, who uh, uh, left this mortal coil not too long ago, um, of course, once it won, well, actually before it won, said, no, oh, this is not a horror movie. And it's like, there's really not a whole lot of ways you could talk about Silence of the Lambs and not have it come across yeah. like a horror movie. It's about two serial killers. One's yeah. a cannibal. One skins people. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, because you could call it a police procedural if you wanted to, sort of. But, um, but anyway, um, so, so it, regarding awards, so that's another bit of the, the 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 way awards treat particular genres and how they become kind of a way that media industries become very self conscious at the award at awards time. They're very conscious of how they look. So, um, you know, the, the issues of race and the Oscars recently. And then what happened to the Golden Globes with gender, I thought, was 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 kind of amazing and revealing at the same time. And um, but on the other hand, I can't stand award shows because of their self-congratulatory mm-hmm you know, kind of, um, uh, distraction and they're, it's sort of, so you, well, and I remain eternally wondering how you justify gender categories for acting awards, sure. right. Versus any other kind of category or putting them all together or something like that. Um, you know, why the categories exist. And of course, knowing that all of these things are really promotional devices, they're ways of trying to, to have an effect on the commercial environment. And so in that way, they become very significant. When something wins an Oscar or a Golden Globe or something like that, it, it can change the trajectory. Now, a question that I was thinking was, does it change the trajectory as much as, say, the Rotten Tomato score, mm-hmm. right? The tomato meter score, that, uh, does that have more of an effect or does the award have more of an effect? And I don't know, I don't even know how you'd find that out. So you could ask people, what difference it makes but um, but in any event so so that makes award shows to me you know and they're kind of built also with this kind of um, internal um, 
um, they have these internally weird moments where somebody will say something about race and then you get three reaction shots from non-white people, right? right. Uh, and of course, you know, and, and any halfway decent psychiatrist would immediately go into, well, he just doesn't like award shows because what he likes never wins, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. no, I, I, I hear you there. Um, I, well, I, 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 the things that I'm interested in knowing is, I heard I heard this. I believe it was after the Emmys. A lot of my pe- people that I've talked to say I like watching them, but it was so overly politicized that I mean, it was the Oscars. I don't, I don't know which one it was, um, but that they didn't they didn't they, they didn't enjoy it that time around. Um, I think I think gender is certainly different than partisan politics. Um, I think that that the the general. Um, uh, story that I've heard echoed afterwards is that it was a a positive. My question is 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 the Times Up movement letting to people off the hook? Like it, you know, like like we like we, the the war has been won. Um, and I thought it did a great job for trying to bring a lot of light to the issue. Um, I think it's probably the most positive outcome you could have. There was I listened to an interview with Seth Meyers before. Uh, beforehand of like, you know, how, how hard you come at Harvey Weinstein? How many jokes do you have? You know, how do you, how do you balance trying to promote the, 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 the work that's going to be showcased versus, you know, trying to point in the, the elephant that is or isn't in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think for the most part, he did a decent enough job of uh, recognizing the elephant room and kind of getting out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, and not just being the the, the, the person doing it. So. Did you? Were you uh, watching Twitter while you were watching the Golden Globes? Mm, I don't think so. See, I, 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 a little bit, a little bit, yeah. but not, not a ton. It was. I'm, I, I, di- I didn't. We missed. We also missed the beginning of it. Um, but uh, I was kind of sorry I wasn't watching Twitter because there was a pretty lively back and forth going on whenever. Um, well, people were observing things that became obvious kind of by the end of it, which was that uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the gender issues were being focused on by women, and by and large, the men who were speaking were saying virtually nothing about mm. it. Um, and you know the and so there were people tweeting about the irony of particular people who are you know there there are allegations about their interactions with women uh up there with times up buttons on their jackets uh and again i was mentioning the 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 introduction of the best director nominees and i i have to say i've always i think natalie portman is kind of a genius Mm -hmm. and always when you i when i watch her work v for vendetta or something i mean i think i see genius in her work but when she came out and said here are the all-male nominees for best director and then they say Guillermo del Toro and they cut to a shot of him and it reminded me of the 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 key and peel bit where um, they're at the the march on Washington and uh, Martin Luther King gets up and does one of his most memorable speeches and then somebody else comes up after that and he's like how do I follow that you know so there's Guillermo del Toro with this really kind of like uncomfortable look on his face and then the other and the other ones look kind of you know and I thought it was I mean I thought it was a, a good political moment in a way and definitely true because they were all male nominees but you know so and that's something that really does need to change I'm completely in support of the fact that that needs to change and that um <clears throat> the um the uh director of ladybird wasn't included on that list was something people were mentioning but yeah. but apparently the, the 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 twitter stream uh regarding some people again james franco specifically uh and uh, some of the yeah. other well and and did you see 
Um, did you see James Franco on Stephen Colbert? No. So I think I think this is a positive that's coming out of the event. Um, Stephen Colbert directly asked James Franco about the allegations on his show. I mentioned backstage that I wanted to talk to you about this. And if if you're okay talking about it, I wanted to ask you about some criticism that you got on a Golden Globes night because you were wearing a Time's Up pin in support of the Time's Up movement, uh, which has been created by many powerful uh, women in Hollywood to say the time is up for the abuse, uh, misuse of women, both sexually and otherwise, not only in Hollywood, but around the country. They've established a, a fund, a legal defense fund for women and men who are being abused in this way. You got criticized for wearing that. Um, d- do you know why? And, and, and what, what, do you have a response to anything you want to say? The tweet that you're referencing is from Ali Sheedy, who said, James Franco just won. Please never ask me why I left the film TV business. Um, she subsequently has removed that tweet, but Stephen Colbert was brave enough to dead, you know, look him dead in the eyes and ask him about it, in which he gave sort of a shifty answer you know and that he wants to be honest and he would right any wrongs he thinks what he doesn't know exactly what she's talking about she thinks she's great whatever she's saying is inaccurate but he'd happily you know say he did something if he had mm-hmm. um, so. well yeah and that's that, that's where the other moments of this that again i'm hoping it i'm hoping that it continues because i think it could have um a fairly significant impact in fact it was leading me a little bit earlier to look at um some of the material that gina davis has done about uh gender equality in the media industry and um there's a a, a quote from a presentation she did i believe it was for the un where she was basically saying you know you know, this was the extent of um, control women had over media at such and such a time. This is where it's at today. And this is a really encouraging sign because at the current rate of progress, we'll reach equity in 700 years. <laughs> um, and it, it was just kind of, yeah, this is, should the number of female characters, this is from um, a story in The Independent from uh, October of 2015. Should the number of female characters in films and television rise at the rate of the past 20 years, reaching parity with their male counterparts on screen will take 700 years, according to Oscar-winning actor and equality campaigner Gina Davis. And one of the things I really admire about Gina Davis is she's put together um, the, an organization um, that is very much interested in, in basing what they're doing on the assumption that um, sort of like their their quote is, what you can see, you can be. So for children, if they can, uh, and this becomes very important in Oprah's speech in a little bit, what they can see gives them an idea that, that has a critical way of kind of forming what they can conceive of themselves to be. And um, if you get a chance, it's worth looking at cjane.org, where in partnership with USA Today, they've actually put together uh, a set of eight lessons on gender equality that um, are, there are student lessons and then there's teacher guides and you know would be for those of you who may be homeschooling your child and are concerned for getting them to think maybe a little bit more carefully about gender representation you've got all this material or if you just happen to be a teacher who's going to be working with media something that i'm always trying to encourage is getting people to get media literacy more at the center of what they're doing then this material is available for you to use so and it's at again cjane.org is where you can find the material so I heard someone told me this. I don't know if it's true or not. So I won't say that I read this anywhere. But I heard this was one of uh, the the lowest summer blockbuster seasons. You know, there wasn't the big summer movies. Um, 
interesting to see that low budget films really dominated. Uh, I don't know, maybe not dominated, but certainly the Disaster Artist, Get Out, Ayatanya, Lady Bird, all movies that clocked in around ten million dollars, mm-hmm. um, being able to pick up a lot of these awards. Uh, and so, yeah, interested, in, interesting to see. Certainly, blockbusters still dominate the theaters, whether it's Star Wars or your latest Marvel comic uh, uh, remake or whatever. But it seems like low budget is really starting to to come into uh, to to the awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, there's and arguably that is is partially because a lot of mainstream films are really just not competitive at yeah. that level. Um, and occasionally um, surprising things happen. I was actually, although I think it's a wonderful film, I thought giving the award to the last Lord of the Rings film that year mm. was was surprising and interesting just because material like that usually doesn't, you know, uh, it's not a recognition of the cultural importance of particular texts. I mean, clearly this summer Wonder Woman was a really big deal mm. and was really financially successful, but it wasn't, I don't think anybody was surprised it was not necessarily on people's lips when they were thinking about award nominees so um and you know again with shape of water which i'd really by the way if you haven't seen it it's it's an incredibly beautiful film and uh del toro's um discussion of monsters you know really as a horror film person just is is really critical to me because it's it's the monsters that we all are the being misunderstood that he's interested in and the kind of fairy tale world that he creates but there's some real stuff about um, the political world that we live in that's in that film too. Now is that would you say and what award did that win last night? It won uh, Best Director. Was that, your, Toro. was that the, the, the win that you were most pleased with? Or were there other wins that uh, you were excited to see? I well you know um, I, I'm trying to think if there was anything that was um, surprising. I'm, I, I was very happy at the recognition of some of it because I think for Lady Bird yeah. Uh, I think it'll it'll help to get more people out to see it, which yeah. I think is a, a really good thing. Yeah, uh, Laurie Metcalf did not win Best Supporting Actress, which I thought she just did an incredible job in Lady Bird. Um, but I'm a bit conflicted because Allison Janney did win for I, Tanya, and uh, as a huge West Wing fan, I'm excited to see Allison Janney finally get some recognition that I feel like she deserves. She'd been nominated five or six times for Golden Globes and, mm-hmm. and always fell short uh, until till this year. So, And I haven't seen I, Tanya either, but um, I'm certainly more intrigued. I've Since watching her speech and I went back to watch the trailer and... Um, I've always been fascinated with the, the, the story of Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan that uh, I'll, I'll probably end up watching I, Tanya. Well, I saw, actually first became aware of it as a, a trailer that was showing before My Friend Dahmer, which hmm. I went to see, which was also a pretty kind of striking film. And, and, and it kind of almost categorically was similar in, uh, because I, Tanya seems to have that very kind of dark Mm-hmm. cynical uh, and it seems to be also playing with some of the conventions about direct address and things like that but but i haven't seen it yet so i'm not sure if that how committed it is to doing that sort of thing um but yeah i'm, I'm very excited about seeing it i think it I, I thought it set up really nicely but again that was a kind of a small film mm-hmm. um and yeah. not a lot of money and so that's something that you know again award ceremonies are often not really directly connected to 
um, w- what happens in terms of financial work. The other the other highlight was Francis McDormand, who I've just always thought was incredibly talented um, and you know deserves the recognition. But again, I go back to actors and actresses, right? <laughs> like, yeah. why are there why are there separate categories for such things? But but that's. You know, people have to. You sort of just get used to it and expect that that's what they, that's what they do. Like if they did, well, they do do some of that at the Grammys too. They do do some of that at the Emmys. So it's a pretty consistent thing. Um, but you know, of course, if they had like a, a best women director category, sure. uh, which might actually, in in a sense. Uh, draw more attention to films that women are making. Um, but again, the percentages are still pretty small. So that's something that still needs to be rectified and, and, and time certainly up on, on those kind of changes. Oh, the one I did, I did want to add one little, Oh, we're running over uh, one little thing, which is that it's worth having a look at uh, an Oprah Winfrey speech. Oh uh, yeah. She talked about uh, Reese Taylor, uh, which was a really an, an Oprah speech was great. You know, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, uh, I was I was so blown away. Um, just you know, I feel like it's been a while since I've seen someone read that well from a teleprompter. First of all, I just I mean, she just delivers everything so well. Yeah. But it was so beautiful. And starting off with the story that you're about to talk about, I I thought it was really really. Well, and it was interesting because I went when I was going back and looking at it. The first thing she says at the beginning of the speech is, "Thank you all." Okay, okay, thank you, Reese. And nobody would have known really that yeah. she, that's where she was going with it because it actually takes her. It's yeah. you know, toward the last couple paragraphs of the speech hmm. where she actually talks about Reese Taylor. If you missed it, um, what she said was this: "And there's someone else, Reese Taylor." A name I know and I think you should know too. In 1944, Reese Taylor was a young wife and a mother. She was just walking home from a church service. She'd attended in Abbeville, Alabama, when she was abducted by six armed white men, raped and left blindfolded by the side of the road, coming home from church. They threatened to kill her if she ever told anyone. But her story was reported to the NAACP where a young worker by the name of Rosa Parks became the lead investigator on her case. And together, they sought justice. But justice wasn't an option in the era of Jim Crow. The men who tried to destroy her were never persecuted. Reese Taylor died 10 days ago just shy of her 98th birthday. She lived, as we all have lived, too many years in a culture broken by brutally powerful men. So it just perfectly coincided with the theme um, that she was receiving the Cecil B. DeMille Award, that Woody Allen had received that award a few years before, so there's a lot of controversy connected with that. But the interesting part to me was also where the story came from. Uh, There's a historian named Danielle McGuire, um, who is a historian who works in in Michigan in the Detroit Free Press, uh, just a couple of days ago had a story about basically who was doing all the research on uh, on Reese Taylor, Reese Taylor, and it goes back to work that she had started discovering in basically 2003 is when she first came across some of the material. 
Um, and uh, as she says in, in the interview part of the story, it's really hard to find marginalized women achieve working class women of color, indigenous women. Cases were hard to come by, but they were there. In one of the archives that I was in, I found a pamphlet from the Civil Rights Congress, which was kind of a leftist northern civil rights organization. The pamphlet was listing all the crimes that had been committed against African Americans. It said something like the Committee for Equal Justice for Mrs. Reese Taylor petitioned Governor Chauncey Sparks for justice on her case. Then she found out that the governor actually had four boxes of material on the Reese Taylor case wow. there. So she was doing all of this research and it ended up coming out in a book that she wrote and published in uh, 2010, which was a new history of the civil rights movement. Um, it's called At the Dark End of the Street, Black Women, Rape and Resistance, A New History of the Civil Rights Movement from Rosa Parks to the Rise of Black Power. Um, so uh, so that's what Oprah was was kind of mentioning and uh, it just kind of points out the, 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 the significance of people who you know, can go into the archive and find these things that were extremely important moving parts of our history to help us to understand where we are now. Mm. So... And I wish I had Oprah's <laughs> sense of delivery. Me too, right? <laughs> I I watched people stand up and sit down like, like three or four times during the speech because there was there was enough that she said that was worth standing up for multiple times, which they just realized we should just I guess just keep standing because this is one of those standing ovation speeches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what was your your reaction to the um, speculation about her political future? Oh, I don't. Yeah, that's that. that uh, most of what I've heard is we're way too far out to to know anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, but funny enough, so that, that Seth Meyers interview that I was, uh, mentioning earlier was from a podcast called pod save America and pod save America is hosted by John Lovett, John Lovett and John Favreau. Um, and, uh, Tommy Vitor, I think that's right. Tommy Vitor, um, John Favreau. I know at least, I think John Lovett too, both worked for, President Obama as speechwriters and actually helped pin some of the jokes that were told during the 2011, um, oh, what's that event called? The press. The correspondence dinner. Correspondence dinner, Mm -hmm. right? Which Seth Meyers hosted. Right. So they're having Seth on and they're like, you know, basically it's, it's our fault that, that Donald Trump ran at all. Right. (laughs) Uh, because we said those jokes that, 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 you know, made him mad and decided to, to, to win or to run. And so what, what would you think about telling Oprah, you know, something insulting so she would run? And that actually made it into the monologue. I don't know if you saw the monologue, but, but Seth Meyers actually ends up running this bit of basically where he looks, you know, looks at Oprah and says, uh, I've been told that my 2011 White House correspondence dinner speech is what caused Donald Trump to run. So Oprah, you'd never, you'd never get the nomination. You couldn't do it, you know, and Hanks, you, you know, you, you, uh, you could never be vice president. (laughs) But um, I think it's interesting that we, we are at a point in time where this seems feasible, I think. And it's one of the more exciting uh, potential candidates for the Democratic Party, yeah. which might be a little sad, but that's that's kind of where where we stand. Well, in a way, too. I mean, I think taking you know, Oprah needs to be taken seriously. What she said was very moving, and what she's done with her career needs to be taken seriously. And so, in a way, 
you know, kind of reducing people to just celebrity, and and I think there's some cases where maybe that's justified, but but it kind of denigrates the social and cultural impact that people have. Yeah. You know, people are, I think, willing to accept that in a fictional situation where it's like, you know, so-and-so is a brilliant actor and changed my life or whatever. Um Though, though maybe not the Bonzo movies um, so much, but, um, but but you know again I had always made the mistake of thinking that Ronald Reagan was just a washed up actor, and clearly there's much more to what he was than that. There's clearly much more to Donald Trump than a reality TV star, and and clearly there's so so I think those are things that are going to have to be factors in the future when we think about the relationship between notoriety and politics. It's just you know it's it's a factor of taking media a little bit more seriously and thinking about the influence it has on people. So yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd take that as an endorsement. I, I, I would, I would endorse yeah. that because I, you know, on my more cynical side, you've got to have the name recognition. If sure. You're gonna, you know. Oprah. I always yeah. go back to, uh, I don't know why it always sticks out in my head, but, uh, there's a scene in Austin Powers where he's sitting at like the blackjack table talking to number two. And when, when he introduces himself, he's like, my, my name, name is, is Richie Cunningham. Cunningham and this is my wife, Oprah. It's like the way that he says that uh, has, uh, has never never escaped me. Well, I'm I'm glad you were able to to find that connection there. There you go, right? Pulls, yeah, pulls all the pieces together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From a from from one end of seriousness of Oprah to president as to Austin Powers, right? Yes. All right. Well, uh, we'll see if the world is still around next time that we have an opportunity to share our. Uh, share our world with you, our media world, and we'd love to hear about your media world too. So uh, if you'd like to, by all means, leave a comment, make suggestions if there's something you'd think you'd like for us to uh, discuss here. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you to uh, stay with us. Yes. And I'm really excited for next week's episode, which I don't want to say too much about in the event that it doesn't come through, but I think it's going to be a real treat to listen to as well. So much more to come already scheduled for the podcast. 